Hi there and welcome into Leading Edge once again. I'm your host Jeff Smith. We record our program here on Thursday nights and as of this very moment, there is no word on a potential strike or a deal between the UAW and the Detroit Big Three. But of course we know that all can change. And with that in mind, I had a conversation with WWJ 950 AM out of Detroit auto beat reporter Jeff Gilbert on what could be next in the possibility of something that could have an impact on this country and more specifically our region. It certainly is unprecedented, but Sean Fain is unprecedented. He is the first UAW president who was directly elected by the membership that came out of the UAW corruption scandal. Now, only that there was a fairly low turnout and he won by a small margin, but none of that matters. He is now the president. He's calling the shots. He ran on a on a platform saying, I'm going to get tough with the car makers. And that's exactly what he is doing. And he essentially is making up a brand new playbook for auto talks. Do you call it bully tactics? Um, any either, and I'm and I'm not say, just saying that from the UAW perspective. I'm also saying it with the replies from the big three because Jeff, I I tried to talk to our newsroom yesterday and help them understand. Hey, listen, we have a corporation who owns us, and they fight us tooth and nail on contracts, uh, left and right, you up and down, you name it. So, I guess. Who's winning? Who's right? Who's wrong? Is there any way to gauge that and in, in how they do this? Well, you obviously don't gauge that until after it's over and you see what kind of deal you got. And in, in many cases, you may not know for years because it's always possible that workers could get a very good deal, but it could have impacts down the road that could lead to plant closings or other problems if it was too generous. So that there are a lot of moving parts here. I am I am not in a position to call anything anybody does bully tactics, but Sean Fain has said from day one that he will mount a very aggressive campaign. That's what he's doing. I mean, we, we see this in, in a lot of industries. We see people who for years play by the rules. They, they feel this is the way it's done. And then somebody new comes along and says, Hey, wait a second. I never agreed to those rules. Here are my rules. And that's what we're seeing. Public perception. Uh, we talked about that the last time we spoke, but I'm, I'm just wondering your take on what they read into this, the, the battling back and forth, because, you know, human nature is fight for the little guy. And that's how Sean Fain is kind of framing all of this. Uh, corporations get the bad deal a lot of times because they're the corporations. And we keep hearing the argument as far as how much money the CEOs make. But little is talked about those who are on salary or those who are managers who aren't union members who are part of these plants. So when I ask you about public perception, your take is what? Well, the per public perception depends on where your where your point of view is coming from. If you're a union family, you're not going to cross a picket line and you're going to support the union no matter what. If you're a family of a salaried worker, uh, th there are some salaried workers who privately will say that, hey, look, the UAW gets all the attention, but uh, we we need these things as well. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, there there is a little bit of uh, a friction there from time to time. So so you see that that kind of thing. But the UN, the companies also try in those situations, like if the UAW gets a holiday, they add that to the salaried people. But 
but there is some friction. There are people who work for suppliers who will be impacted by this. So there, there is no monolithic opinion. I mean, it's a, it's a cliche to say everybody in a certain area feels, feels the same. You, you take a look at, at the political situation in, in our country right now. There, there are people who feel very strongly like Sean Fain feels that, you know, there are fat cats up there that are making a lot of money and, and we need our share. There are other people who say, look, these people earn that money. They took a chance to become the CEO. They climbed the ladder. I didn't do that. So God bless them. I'm, I'm glad they made that money. Shows the company's profitable. I'm going to make some money too. So there are a number of different opinions. That's a reflection of society as a whole. What, what's going to happen next? What, what does it mean for the economy, especially where the economy is right now? Well, for, first thing is, you know, past is is just throw that out the window because this has never happened before. So what, what you will likely see is several plants go down. As you mentioned, I can't tell you whether any will be in Toledo or somewhere else. I would anticipate the UAW would want to spread that out with plants at a number of locations, but but who knows? And because not everybody is walking out at once, the economic impact will be felt, but it'll be felt slowly. And I think that's what the UAW wants. They want to have that impact felt and then have it build. So, you know, it won't be the same as what we had thought of to begin with, if every plant was struck, but it will be kind of like instead take taking a pot and taking it up to a slow boil, just move it up step by step by step. What are the unions to tell their membership if if here in Toledo we have local twelve, which is mainly Jeep, we have local fourteen, which is mainly GM. So if those, let's say one of the two is not working, the other is working. Is there any blending of support? Does it just stay normal operations? That'll be interesting to see what happens, because as as we've talked before, this is unprecedented. So this is their strategy. They want these other plants to keep operating. And Sean Fain, in his address, told workers, I know you may be anxious to go out on strike, but don't go out on strike until we tell you to so those those plants will be working but you've got to imagine there will be some tension there there'll be some stress there on the part of the workers wondering if they're going to be the ones to walk out next and i don't think many individual workers have any idea what the plans are because i don't think fane wants them to leak out so the fewer people who know the less chance there will be of leaks Jeff Gilbert from WWJ Radio, 9.50 a.m. out of Detroit. You can also download the Odyssey app and check out 9.50. It's 24-7, around-the-clock news, sports, information you need. Coming up, we talk about social issues in sport communication. I talk with the authors next. Welcome back. Not enough black head coaches in the NFL taking a knee during the national anthem. Fighting for equal pay in women's soccer. Racism among fans in the NBA, athletes in mask wearing, COVID. It is truly remarkable that that list I just ran off is applicable to just the last 10 years. Not, not even really just the last 10 years. You can say in the last five years. All of those things connect. It's the intersection between sport, its athletes, society. And it continues to not only be a moving target, 
but also a fluid conversation. And that kind of sets the stage for what we're talking about here in our next two segments here on Leading Edge this week. I want to introduce my guests to you who have authored just a fascinating book. I held it up before we went to break there, but it is called Social Issues in Sport Communication. Doctors Terry Rettner and also David Burns, who is joining us via Zoom today from the University of Maryland. So first and foremost, Terry, let's start off by talking about how this book comes about. What is, what is the mindset behind it? We're seeing an increase in social issues and sport come down the pike. You just mentioned that in the last five, ten years. Heck, let's just go back to the past week. Mm -hmm. And we've got the Michigan State coach who's been suspended for sexual harassment and will be coming up in a hearing. Right. You've got at the U.S. Open, which tends to be kind of a mild manner event, somebody who uh, cemented their feet and it stopped play for an hour because he was uh, protesting climate change. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing more and more the intersection of sport and social issues. But what happened for us was we both teach at our respective universities, Dave at Salisbury University, me at Bowling Green State University, that there wasn't any book that connected these two. And the last time we found one was 2010. So we said, well, it's time for a book on social issues. This, this is an issue, and David, I'm going to start you off here, but this is an issue that angers some people because they're, they're of the mindset, it's sports, leave it alone. There's, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't have athletes who are drawing attention to things outside. Stay in your lane, they'll say. Do you, do you agree with that mindset that we're in kind of this back and forth mode? Well, I think uh, the assumption here is that sport is not political. And sport is political in everything they do. I mean, if you look at the NFL, for example, and how they use uh, the military, uh, the Department of Defense paying money to the NFL to showcase um, to showcase the military to help recruit uh, this kind of thing, um, and and just uh, coaches and and owners. Uh, making a statement about, for example, taking a knee before the national uh, during the national anthem. Now, these are all political statements, just like taking a knee is a political statement. So, I think the question isn't uh, should pol should politics be on the playing field? Politics is there. I think what people um, are confusing is uh, the politics that they might want to hear and uh, being very selective in the type of politics that's being discussed. The NFL has been involved in politics since Richard Nixon took a seat at uh, RFK uh, Stadium in the 1970s in support of the Vietnam War. Um, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, and uh, it just goes on and on. So, no, politics has always been in sport. Uh, I think the the question I think that, that people raise is, I don't like the, I don't like particular uh, people's politics. Uh, they they may not deserve to be heard, whereas others are. And if it doesn't mesh with their opinion. And I wanted to pull out a quote that one, one of the things in the first couple of chapters, Terry, and we'll show people at home as well. But that quote being, without a doubt, athletes, sports, organizations, governing boards, and sponsors can reinforce or change attitudes and behaviors based on their stance on social issues. So it, it goes from not only a perspective that this is happening, but this is making a difference? 
Is that what I'm reading? Yes, it could make a difference in a positive way or a negative way. Let's take the uh, COVID-19, for example. You have um, athletes who were very coy about their vaccination status, others who came out and said, I'm not getting vaccinated. And that's fine, that's their choice. But they have to remember that they are role models to mm -hmm. people, especially youth, mm -hmm. and how impactful that could be. So we have to keep those kinds of, of things in mind. What about the intersection of this? I mean, how does that come? How did that come to be? And, and you guys looking at this, where do you stop with the examples? Because I rattled off five, six, maybe. There are hundreds. Right. As a matter of fact, I could go back to 1883 when I traced the first instance of racism in sport. And guess where it happened? Right here in Toledo with the Toledo Blue Stockings. That's what they were called. Baseball team. Mm -hmm. And they had an African-American player who was not scheduled to play. But they put him on the field and the other team refused to play. So we can trace it back to them. Then fast forward in, in baseball and the MLB to the late 40s, you have Jackie Robinson, who um, really didn't want to be the face of the African-Americans in the uh, Major League Baseball. So he was kind of what I would call an unwilling participant in it. And then fast forward again to 2016 with Kaepernick, who was an activist, who, who specifically took a knee. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're seeing, dating all the way back for more than 100 years ago, how this intersection has always been there. But it's becoming more and more prevalent, I think, as uh, people are paying attention to social issues going on both nationally and internationally. David, I, I was going to say, Terry and I, before we came on today, we were discussing the fact that you want this book to obviously draw in the world of academia, but you also want it to be a read that, like I was telling her, I said it's a very easy read, and it's actually, it, it's almost like those interactive Dungeons and Dragons books that I used to have when I was a kid, <laughs> because it gets you involved. It says, at the end, you make the call, gives you a number of scenarios. In fact, it's part of the title. But David, how do you cater something like this so that Joe Public can go pick this up and and, and realize I'm not only learning something, I'm, I'm drawing on my own experience. You know, one of the things I think that, that I like to do when I, when I teach out of this book um, and when I talk to people uh, about these topics anywhere in, in restaurants and bars at home, um, I always kind of broaden it. I mean, sure, we're talking about these things in the context of sports. Um, however, these are not sports issues. Um, uh, you know, corporations uh, are, are, are being impacted by this. I think, you know, as we were doing this this book, one thing became increasingly uh, clear to me. And I guess that the takeaway for me was that any any kind of leadership without conscience is, is fatal. Any kind of um, innovation without diversity, without equity, without inclusion of all people um, is impossible. And so when, you know, we look at things from a sports perspective, but all of the things that we talk about, COVID and um, access to health care, um, pay equity uh, for women uh, in any, in any um, line of work, these are all going to be issues that uh, companies and corporations are going to have to deal with. Um, so 
I think, you know, with any kind of organization, the segment before ours, we were talking about the UAW, you know, the, the car uh, industry and what's going on there. I think, um, you know, we're, we're kind of shifting a little bit from an organization-centric uh, working world to one that is much more of a worker-focused working world. And so those leaders have to adapt. They have to listen to uh, what's going on in their industry. They have to adapt. And they have to innovate. Uh, otherwise, I think um, they're going to be lost. Stay right there. When we come back, I want to pick on a couple of chapters specifically. And the other thing I haven't mentioned, you guys have help from a number of other authors in this book putting together some information. I want to talk about pay, equal pay, gender equity, things of that nature. The Rooney Ruse, I found that mm -hmm. fascinating. We've got a lot to cover here. Second segment, stay with us. We'll be back right after this. As you flip through the pages, you'll, you'll, you'll sit there and you'll look and see all of these moments in sports. We talk about moments in journalism and moments in broadcast journalism, and it's like these are moments just flooded throughout his, the history, the last 20 years, really, Terry. So as we talk about, and, and Dave, I want you to get in on this as well. I'm going to give Terry the first crack at it. But as you talk about, I guess, corporations, and what they see going on and whether or not we've had we've had so many discussions social media i mean my goodness it just blows up every time there's an issue of any substantial proportion but when corporations have the ground to potentially jump on take part in something that's happening how does that intersect i keep using that word as far as the intersection but it really is a, a kind of a crossover issue how do you see that kind of tying into this and i'll get david's uh, opinion as well Right. Well, we do it in sport with community relations. We do it in corporation with community relations, where uh, corporations like to connect to social issues and causes. I mean, causes. the NFL is a huge corporation. Oh, one of the biggest. Right. Yeah, makes billion dollars a year mm -hmm. in profit. So certainly that that's what we're seeing in here. Um, but. Getting back to your question again of the corporations, yeah. of how they do it, it is through a lot of activism. And, for example, one of the biggest issues today would be mental health. Mm -hmm. And at first, it was frowned upon among athletes to talk about any type of mental health issues. Seen as weakness. Yes. And that's exactly what happened with Simone Biles, is that she was criticized as being weak. She was criticized as politicians of, you know, how dare you withdraw from the Olympics? Mm -hmm. And um, she had to face that. And same thing with the tennis player who withdraw from, withdrew from the uh, French Open. She could not go through with her press conference and um, she was fined $15,000 for not doing it. And here she's saying, I've got this problem. Now they're more likely to talk about it. So now corporations are more likely to talk about yeah. these issues as well. And there are numerous audience that, audiences that they have to speak to. So Dave, I, I guess jump in how how do they market to everybody in one fell swoop because just like politics and you talked about that in the first segment you can't make everybody happy so how are these uh, i guess corporations if you will these teams these leagues these sports covering everything well i think one thing that they do is they cast a wide net um however uh they also go for very specific niche markets. So, for example, the NFL has for many, many years uh, tried to attract more women to watch uh, to watch football. They've gone, uh, they, they partnered with Victoria's Secret to create uh, football um, uh, clothing and this kind of thing. I think what happens is sometimes, though, they fall afoul 
Um, I guess their their message doesn't uh, resonate. Uh, they call it sort of pinkwashing, for example, with this. When you uh, when they're easy on things like domestic violence, uh, and yet they still would like to have uh, a, a specific audience come in. And I I think about um, in a corporate setting uh, the situation with Bud Light and. Um, uh, approaching a transgender uh, person to uh, be a spokes uh, representative for them. And how dismissive and abrasive it was viewed in doing so. Uh, in our last couple of minutes, I also wanted to bring up just the U.S. women's soccer team because that does encapsulate one of those chapters talking about the fight for equal pay. And it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling when you look at the average pay being, I, I think I got this right, in the $60,000 range. And mm -hmm. conversely, Messi, who obviously international player, but he's in the $97 million range. Yeah, it's not just pay. It was also playing conditions for these women. For example, the U.S. men's soccer team, they rode first class on the plane, airplanes. Women were in coach. The playing fields themselves were a lot more dangerous. The training facilities were not up to par with men mm -hmm. as well. So the, not just the pay, but the disparities. And isn't it a shame if here we are in 2023 and fighting for this pay equity? Right. And the real, I think, kick in the teeth for women's soccer was they did not perform as expected at the World Cup. This last time and, Yes, around. and yeah. you know what happened? There was discussion about taking back some of that pay. Has that ever happened with the men's soccer team, the mm. U.S. men's soccer team? I don't think so. But there was actually talk now about yeah. taking back some of that pay. 20 seconds, David. Uh, what is your hope for this book? Um, I, you know, I hope that people uh, become very interested in in the issues that we're talking about, seeing that these issues are not just um, uh, sort of pedantic or not just scholastic, uh, but they are something that can be discussed at home, uh, you know, around the table. Uh, they have uh, they have resonance with them. Sports Absolutely. David, Bur David, thank you so much. We've run out of time. But Terry Rentner and David Burns, the book is Social Issues in Sport communication. We appreciate the insight. Thank you. Thank you.